Let's pray. Father, we come before you asking for your presence to be known. God, for your spirit to move us. God, for us to know the truth. Lord, we delight in who you are. Give us perspective from your word that that corrects our minds, that corrects our thoughts, that corrects our worldview. And God, allow us to be your servants. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. High school seniors and juniors uh, every year make a big to-do oftentimes about where they're going to play college football. This year was no exception to that rule, and five-star recruit Harold Perkins sat around the table as Lee Van of NOLA.com writes, and looked at three hats on the table in front of him. The five-star linebacker was born in New Orleans, but had spent 17 of his first 18 years in greater Houston. Anybody guess why? Harold Perkins, um, pushed there by his family with, from Hurricane Katrina. Now he had a decision to make. Florida, Texas A&M, or LSU. For a moment, he picked up the Texas A&M hat and put it back down. Nah, I ain't going there, he said. Then he picked up the LSU hat and said, I'm going back home, baby. Earlier in his senior year, Perkins had committed to Texas A&M. Made a lot of sense. A&M's about an hour and a half down the road from his high school, Cypress Park. But part of him was still a Louisiana kid. People tell him, you're from Cyprus, said Greg Rogers, Perkins' football coach at Cypress Park. And he'd say, no, I go to Cypress Park. I'm from New Orleans. Thousands of displaced New Orleans felt the same way. Even as the years passed after Katrina, but the pull of home is still strong. The story I read to you as we embark on a new chapter here, and the new chapter is the chapter of Daniel. And I'm excited and thrilled to be able to study through the book of Daniel with you. Such a meaningful book of the Bible that begins with displacement. And we can relate to Hurricane Katrina because we're right here. I mean, Baton Rouge, Plaquemine, this whole area felt the displacement from Katrina in a massive way. And if you don't believe that, you can just ask Baton Rouge traffic uh, many years ago what that looked like. But this is where the book of Daniel begins. It begins with people being displaced and brought to a new home. And that's where Daniel finds himself in the first chapter of the book of Daniel. If you have your Bible, I'll invite you to open up to the book of Daniel. But we're not really going to start right there because we're going to do a little bit of a history this morning. Because without the context of what's going on, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. But we will get there. So please, if you will, open to the book of Daniel. Uh, This morning, I also want to read while you're turning there our verse of the year. We're celebrating together in 2022. Koinonia, which means fellowship in Greek. 
First John 1, 5 to 7 says this, and this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we are together in church, we are fellowshipping with our God as well. So let me again tell you, Thank you for being here this morning. It is a delight to have you worshiping with us this morning. In our Sunday school class, we did a bit of this. So Sunday school, you'll get a little bit of a repeat this morning. But I'd like to begin by putting into context the book of Daniel this morning and how it fits historically. Uh, Just jumping in and starting in verse 1, I don't think would do justice to to the, the context of what's happening. In the book of Daniel, and and I think it would be wise for us to look at a little bit of the history of how Israel got there. Now, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham a, a pagan man, a godless man out of the land of Ur. And he said, now go to a land that I will show you. And I'm going to bless every nation through your offspring. And Abraham believed God, the Bible says. He got up and he went. God chose Abraham and the descendants of Abraham to be a special blessing. And Abraham had a, two sons, and really more than two later, but two that are focused on in Scripture. And their names were, help me out church, Isaac and Ishmael. But the the gift of God, the promise of God was upon which son? Was Isaac. God had a special plan through Isaac. And we don't hear much about Isaac. And there's a little bit in Genesis about it. Not much at all. And then Isaac has two sons. He has twins. And their names are Jacob and Esau. And who was God's blessing upon? Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. God was planning and moving something through Jacob, not Esau. And then Jacob had how many sons? Twelve sons. And the promise, the gift of God, the blessing of God was through which son? Judah. Right. We, I'm hoping my Sunday school class is here. It was through Judah. God's blessing came through Judah. Why? Why Judah? How do we know it was Judah? Because there was one at the end of Genesis. We have this prophecy that says this. And through Judah, a lion will come. The scepter will come through Judah. There is a a kingly line through Judah. And that is when uh, when Jacob is blessing his 12 sons. He brings Judah in. He gives them a special blessing. As we see this, then we see the whole thing of of. Of Joseph and him moving to Egypt and becoming second in command, only second to Pharaoh. And then for 430 years, they stay in Egypt and they become slaves. And then we have the escape from Egypt, which we'll be presenting here in our church in a couple of months to present. That truly the firstborn who was coming was none other than who church was Jesus. Right. But we're not there yet. Israel comes under slavery and they're, they're burdened and greatly burdened. 
And then they leave Egypt and they go to wandering in the desert because they're disobedient and they're stiff-necked people. And then God kills a generation off and brings a new generation into the land of what? Of Israel. Right? And then Joshua is raised up. You remember? Joshua is raised up and then Joshua, they divide into the 12 allotments of land and they push out most all of the other nations and they begin to dwell in that land. And then they ask for something big and special. They ask for what? A king. And Saul is found. God anoints Saul as the king and, and Saul does some good things. And then Saul becomes jealous of a guy named what? David. And then David will ultimately become king. Saul will die in battle. David becomes king. And God blesses the land of Israel for a little while. And then David gets into trouble with a woman named Bathsheba. And he kills Bathsheba's husband named Uriah. And then God's judgment begins to fall on David and his family. But Israel does well. And then David's... Has, he has several sons, and his son that becomes the next king is what? Solomon, right? Y'all remember these things? I hope so. If not, enjoy this. It's a good, good uh, teaching for you. So Solomon comes, and Solomon, the, the golden age of Israel is under Solomon. And I mean that literally. Like everything's gold. It says silver was so common, it wasn't really worth anything. Because there was so much gold in the land and, and they had so much timber and they built this magnificent temple structure under Solomon's leadership. Solomon was a hard man who practiced slavery of his own people, but they had great affluence in the nation of Israel under Solomon. It was a golden age. And then Solomon gets old and... And dies and his sons take over. And that's when the kingdom does what? It splits into a divided kingdom. Now this is the nation, Israel's history. So there's uh, Solomon's son who takes over and then he's judged because he, he doesn't pursue God. Just like Solomon didn't pursue God. And especially at the end of his life he went after idols. Well his sons walk in those same footsteps. And they began to, to, to seek after idols and do things. And God says, I'm splitting the kingdom. And he asked uh, him to, the, the king-to-be uh, to, to tap the ground, I think it was, so many times. And that many times, that's how many uh, of the 12 tribes he would get. And he got two. So two tribes come under, under uh, Rehoboam's uh, reign. And the other 10 tribes go to begin another nation. That other nation, does anybody know what it's called? It's called Judah. I'm sorry, it's called Israel. And then the southern kingdom is called Judah. So Solomon's son reigns down in the south where Jerusalem is. It's called Judah. And the other ten tribes are together. They're called Israel. That happens for, for a season. And then there are kings in the north, none of which are good. They're all godless kings. And God sends a nation to judge them. And it finally... At the end of the northern kingdom's reign, a nation comes in named Assyria and just wipes them out. 
And to the point to where those, 12 tri- those 10 tribes, there's no record of any of their genealogies, of where each land was. Nobody knew who they were. They were wiped out. Well, for another couple hundred years, the southern kingdom named Judah, uh, it runs. And it has its own kings. I think it's got eight out of 21 kings that at least kind of serve God. Not perfectly, but, but at least their, their direction is Godward. And then another nation comes in to, uh, to start attacking the south. Does anybody know the name of that nation? It is Babylon. And this is where Daniel's going to come in now. Because Babylon the nation is going to come in and where the Assyrians would come in and they would just destroy you. And they would enslave. They were very barbaric people. So they didn't really do anything to the people that were there except destroy them. But Babylon had a different way of taking over nations. Babylon would come in and rather than just destroy everything that was there, they would come in and begin to take people out of that nation and reprogram them, if you will, by bringing them back to their own nation And then they would be sent back to govern and rule in their homeland. But they would be taken away. They'd be drawn out. And what we see at the beginning of Daniel is there are three main waves of the drawing out. Or they call it the fancy word is the deportation of people out of one, out of the land of Judah and into the land of Babylon. Now let me give you some scripture that kind of brings in a little bit more of a, uh, a closer view of some of that drama that goes on. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Now I'm going to give you this because I want you to see the environment that Daniel grew up in. Daniel grew up in an environment that was, uh, that was pretty rough, to say the least. Daniel was a young man when the book starts, but his background was not in a place of where things were happy. There was tumult in his land. Uh, it was a war-stricken land. He had probably seen things he never wanted to see again. In 2 Kings 23, you can read about some of this, but let's get to, um, to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. This is the decline of Judah. Verse 1, the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place. In Jerusalem, you see Josiah, the, the father here, had been killed in war by a guy named Pharaoh Necho. So if you, if you know anything about Egypt, Egypt's still in, the, in play here with Judah, between Judah and Babylon. And Egypt is trying to get the allegiance of the nation of Judah so that they can battle against Babylon who's pressing in and in and in and trying to take over this land. Egypt's worried about what's going to happen to them. And Judah's between Egypt and Babylon. So they're trying to say, all right, if we can use your soldiers and help push off Babylon and keep them from taking us, that's what we're going to do. Well, as we see here, Josiah didn't want to do that. Josiah said, I'm not fighting for you, Egypt. I'm my own nation. I got my own things to worry about. So the Egyptian pharaoh comes and kills Josiah, who is one of the good kings uh, from Judah. So the people of Judah raise up a new king 
uh, his son, and his name's Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz reigned, or was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for how long? Three months, not very long, and you'll find out why. Then the king of Egypt deposed him in Jerusalem and laid on him a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. So he started saying, all right, we own you, Judah. We're stronger than you. You give us money and we won't attack you. A vassal nation, as they called it. As long as you pay me, it's kind of like that bully. If you give me your lunch money, I won't punch your face in. Uh, That's what Egypt was doing at this time. And the king of Egypt made Eliakim his brother over Judah and Jerusalem and changed the brother's name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and carried him to Egypt. Why? Because Jehoahaz was one of those guys that wasn't going to give the lunch money. And he said, you're not going to bully me, Necho. I'm not paying you your money. So Necho said, I'm just going to come and take you out and put your brother as king. And that's exactly what he did. Well, at that point, Jehoiakim became friendly with Egypt, which didn't make Babylon very happy. So we get to 2 Chronicles 36, beginning in verse 5. Jehoiakim, the brother that was made king, was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what? He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came up, what's that guy's name? Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. So here you see the Babylonian king comes in now and he's going to start taking people away in order to reprogram them, to use them, to conform them to Babylonian standards. And this is where Daniel chapter 1 is in this time frame. Jehoiakim is king and he, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and takes over. Look in verse 7. Nebuchadnezzar also carried parts of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his place in Babylon. So not only did he take the people, he took the expensive, nice vessels and brought them to his place. Now, that's the beginning of Daniel. I want to give you another picture for the rest of Daniel because I hope this will help us to read and understand what's going on in this book. All right, turn to 2 Chronicles 36. And we've got the next phase. This is going to be deportation number two or people grab number two, invasion number two. So now Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiachin, I mean, you could do like Bob and Larry there, but we got Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In the spring of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the precious vessels of the house of the Lord and made his brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. So the second invasion, number two, going to come in, grab the current king, Take his stuff and the stuff of the Lord, bring it out and make somebody else king. We're seeing a pattern here. All right. And then finally, the third wave, 2 Chronicles 36, verses 12 through 14. 
Zedekiah, it says he, but this is referring to Zedekiah, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. As you see why God is bringing judgment upon the nation. Remember, God had called the nation through Abraham to be a blessing to the ends of the earth. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? And now the, the nation is being doing evil in the sight of the Lord, just like all of the other nations. God had called them to be separate, to be distinct, to do things God's way, to be holy. And they are doing now everything the other nations are doing and even worse. So God brings, and the Bible says God raised up Babylon to judge his nation. Let me keep going. Zedekiah did what was evil in the sight of his God. He did not humble himself before who? All right, so what other book is being written during this process? Jeremiah the prophet. Now, it's interesting. Jeremiah begins writing before even the first wave where we see Daniel. So Jeremiah is a known prophet before Daniel. But even way past and during the book of Daniel, Jeremiah is writing his book. And so just to give you some context, Daniel's going to refer to Jeremiah in, in the book of Daniel. So we're going to see that. I want you to know Jeremiah was not somebody long ago to Daniel. He was a contemporary, but he was writing during the time... Jeremiah was in Judah while Daniel was brought over to Babylon. So they knew of each other. They were far apart. But you had a messenger here and he had a messenger there. All right. Verse 12. Uh, He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 13. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priest of the people, likewise, were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. How dreadful. Is God's plan broken? Is it lost? Is it over? No, is the answer. But it looks pretty bleak right now. And they polluted the house of the Lord that had made whole, that was made whole, that he had made holy in Jerusalem. So notice as the Chronicle is writing, he's writing with, with a bigger story in mind. God had these plans that, that, were, that were commanded, and the people of Israel were ignoring God's good and righteous commands. But was God's plan thwarted? Of course not. And we're going to see what's going to happen even through Daniel and through the story of Daniel that that brings these two together. God commands things that people oftentimes ignore. In fact, that's what we as Christians agree that we're like those people. We are those people who have ignored God's commands in our own lives. But what Christians also recognize is is not only does God have commands, but he also has things that he commits to happening. And that God in in his sovereign goodwill will make things happen. And in this case we see, well, we see Daniel raised up. In a land that's far away, God is still working his plan. And we see that God ultimately will bring forth his son, Jesus Christ, to be a savior For all of those who have sinned. 
What does the Bible say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? But Christians, as Christians, we believe that, yes, we have sinned, but God has saved us through his son. And if we will repent of our sin, believe in Jesus Christ, he will save us from our sin and will draw us into a right relationship with God. Because the works that Jesus did count for our righteousness. And what does that take? That takes repenting of our sin and believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Believing enough to change our life to be one of following Him. God commands things. People ignore them. And that's why Israel is in this mess and Judah is in this mess that they are in. So, in the midst of all of this godlessness, the ignoring of God's commands, the the building and construction of idols, all of the immorality and impurities within this nation, Daniel rises up. Daniel grew up in all of this. Y'all know what Daniel's name means? Daniel. Or Daniel. It means the Lord, the El at the end of any name. Israel. Ishmael. Daniel. Joel. All these names that end in El, that means the Lord. That's like Elohim. El Shaddai, the Lord our God. The Lord Most High. El. That's God. The Lord is my judge. Daniel. The Lord is my judge. Now think about this. As you know Daniel. Daniel is going to to live a lifestyle seeking after God. And we're going to see this. Daniel will live through four different kingdoms. Four different rulers. Four different kingdoms. Distinct kingdoms. Now, I've been in the USA all along. Think about if your nation had been overtaken four different times. Daniel's going to live through that. It's an amazing thing to think of. And that's one of the messages that we get out of Daniel is that even in the midst of falling kingdoms, rising kingdoms that fall and that new ones are raised up that will fall again. One of the things that Daniel teaches us is that God is sovereign through all of that. And so I want to give you all that thought this morning is one of the the messages that we'll read and come through in Daniel is this. No matter what happens around us, God is sovereign and on the throne. I read this morning in my prayer, uh, my my scripture from the second chapter of Daniel, that, that God raises up kings and God... Tears kingdoms down. Now, we don't have a king, but we have leaders in our government. We have governors and mayors and presidents and and all sorts of Congress and senators. We have elections all the time. We can't ever get away from elections. But God raises those men and women up and God removes those men and women according to his great plan and what God is doing. Four kingdoms he lived through. That's one of the things we'll see. In all of those kingdoms, God's favor was on Daniel and Daniel was kept safe. 
Not only that. Um, can anybody name those four kingdoms? By the way, anybody know? You had the kingdom of Judah was the first one. The second one was, y'all already said it, the kingdom of Babylon. And then who conquered the Babylons? The Medes. And then who conquered the Medes? Well, the Persians. And then the Persians brings us all the way up to Esther. Y'all remember that, right? So you got those four kingdoms. But when we get to the end of the book of Daniel, you're going to see something amazing. He's going to even predict the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and all these things. And then one thing that I want to, want to read to you this morning from Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. When we see that Daniel is, is going from kingdom to kingdom, God is preserving Daniel, using him as a prophetic voice, as a voice of truth, as a voice of God's word. Daniel's going to say one thing that church, you need to hear this morning, and we need to know. Not only does God raise kingdoms and God tear down kingdoms, God raise up governments, God destroys governments. Governments rise, governments fall, but Daniel prophesies and predicts one kingdom to rule them all. And so church, this is where I want to to focus and to finish this morning. Daniel 2.44. And in those days, he's talking about the, the Greek Empire. He's talking about the Roman Empire coming. And he says this, In those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will what? Church, can you help me? That will never be destroyed. So in the days of the Roman Empire, the final kingdom he's talking about, God is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them all or bring them to an end. And it shall stand. How long? Now, what do you think? What kingdom could that be? Because you know, USA is doing pretty good. We've been 250 years-ish that we're celebrating. That's pretty good. That's the longest representative republic I think that's ever been around. It's a long time. Are we going to last forever? I see some no's and I would agree. So I don't think he's talking about the good old USA. Was he talking about the Roman? No, not the Roman Empire. It's coming during the Roman. So what kingdom rose up during the Roman Empire that is a kingdom that will never Fall away. Colby, you have a guess. Tell me. What do you think it is? Say that again. We got a smart young man. If y'all didn't hear that, he says the kingdom of heaven. And we have a king who comes and announces this kingdom of heaven. Jesus comes and he announces his kingdom and he says, if I cast out miracles then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. Remember Jesus' first servant? Repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came and established a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So church, um, this is something we need to 
to remember. As we are hosting people in our church building and in our church parking lot in two months or a month and a half, whenever it is. Our concern is not that everything look perfect or that everything be exactly right. Our concern is that people see that we are proclaiming a different kingdom. Not a kingdom of this world, but a kingdom of heaven. And what does this kingdom look like? Uh, A couple of years ago, we studied what is the kingdom of God or what is the kingdom of heaven? Does anybody remember the definition that we used when we said, well, what is the kingdom of heaven? Wow, we got some rememberers. God ruling and reigning. That sounds like a kingdom. God ruling and reigning. The kingdom of heaven is God ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people. I think that's a a really good definition of the kingdom of heaven. So when Daniel predicts, I've seen kingdoms rise, I've seen them fall. Hey, I saw another kingdom rise, I saw another kingdom fall. And oh, by the way, I saw another kingdom rise and another kingdom fall. But there's coming a kingdom that will rise. And as Jesus preached about it, he said it's going to grow like one leaven, like it grows the whole lump. It's going to grow like a mustard seed. I saw mustard seeds in a necklace this morning by Miss Anna right there. There they are. A mustard seed, you put it in the ground, it's an itty bitty seed. And what does it do? It grows to a big, big tree. It's so odd. That itty bitty seed grows to a big, big tree. And Jesus said, wow, thank you. And Jesus said, I've come. Did something happen up there? Jesus said, I've come that that my kingdom is going to grow. And so from 2,000 years ago to today, people have been investing into the kingdom of God. And as I've studied, we're teaching the book of Acts, we're just finishing it up. People gave their lives for the kingdom of heaven. To prove Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is going to give his life to prove that the kingdom of heaven is worth greater than the kingdom of Rome. And John's brother James, right young adults? John's brother James is going to give his life for the kingdom of heaven. And John the Baptist gave his life for the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus Christ the Lord gave his life so that the kingdom of heaven could be established here in Plaquemine, Louisiana, to the ends of the earth. And so, so y'all, I don't want to see it end with me or with you. The kingdom of heaven is one that will never be destroyed, and God is calling us to promote and to spread this kingdom. So how can we do that? By proclaiming it. Uh, I listened to Albert Moeller Monday, and he was talking about there was a, a, um, a man who wrote a book and that book was called um, Satan's Verses. And it was uh, against the teachings of the Muslim religion. And uh, they attempted to assassinate this author. And this was some years later. It was just last week when they attempted the assassination. And, um, and Alvin Bowler was talking about the worldview implications. Why would you want to kill somebody who just disagrees with you and wrote a book against your religion? And and he, he spoke of, well, in the Muslim religion is an honor religion. And 
you understand that, that there's great honor, and you have to defend the honor of Muhammad, his, his prophets, or the prophets, and the, the Quran, the book, uh, and their holy writings, and, and there must be a defense of these things, because that is very important to this culture. You defend those things. You defend the honor. Uh, you think of Will Smith slapping somebody. You've defiled my bride. That's, that's this culture. And then Al Mohr made the point, which I thought was excellent. He said, you know, as Christians, people make fun of our religion all the time. Now, I can remember back in the day when I watched a show called Saturday Night Live, which is a terrible show, don't ever watch it. But they would make fun of Jesus all the time. And I didn't get it at that time. I was younger. I didn't get it. But... They make fun of Jesus and his teachings and Christians and our standards and our, our morals all the time. And Albert Moore says, our religion is not an honor of religion. We don't defend the honor of Jesus so much as we defend the truth that Jesus gave us to defend. And I thought, wow, that's so well put. Is it is not our job to have to defend Jesus, but rather we defend the truth that he gave us because that is what calls people into right relationship with God. So this morning as we wrap up, I want to commend you and exhort you. If you are a Christian here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in the kingdom that has risen, but the Bible says will never fall. And though thousands and ten thousands may surround God's people, He will never let this kingdom fall. Amen. You are part of it. So your job as a kingdom worker is to do the work of defending the truth proclaiming the truth, promoting the truth, and that is our job as a collective church. So church, I do want to call you to arms and say your arms are not to go slap anybody or hurt anyone. The call to arms is this. Let us proclaim the truth of God together for the kingdom that will never end. And how do we do that? Well, next Sunday we'll have some information for you on how we're going to work together for our fall outreach program. And then we'll have a spring outreach program again. And then we'll have VBS again. And then we'll have youth camp again. And then we'll have Sunday school next week. And then we'll have Wednesday night activities. And then we'll have Sunday night activities. And we'll have all of these things as a church that we do together because there's a kingdom worth promoting. And the kingdom says this, Jesus Christ is our ruler. We honor him. We are his servants, but we proclaim what he's told us to proclaim. And when Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, we take that very seriously. When Jesus tells us to proclaim the gospels to the end of the earth, we take that very seriously. That we are God's servants here. So... With that said, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, let me proclaim to you that Jesus Christ saves sinners that repent. Not just people who believe there's a God, because even the demons believe and tremble. 
But we want to invite you into the kingdom of God, but it will cost you your life. Jesus said, whoever will not give up mother, father, brother, or sister for my sake is not worthy of me. And there are many who are not worthy of Jesus because they'd rather cling to the things of this world. But Jesus is calling us out of a life of sin into a life of holiness and purity that we might proclaim the message that Jesus' bride is pure. And that Jesus' bride, we, as Jesus' bride, we have work to do to proclaim the Son of God. And then one day, we will be with Jesus forever as He reigns here and reigns with us for all eternity. That is Christianity. If you don't know, if you don't you have not professed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk with you about that. Um, I'll be here after the service. Uh, if you are a believer and want to get involved in the work of this church to proclaim the message of Jesus to the people around us, uh, please be involved and listen over the next coming weeks of how you can do that. You can be involved in our classes as we teach and grow and learn the Bible so that we can proclaim it. Next week, we dig in to Daniel chapter 6. Verse 1, but let me close with this. Let me close with these two passages of Scripture. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. He will be great. This is when the angel's proclaiming that Jesus is going to come. The angel is speaking, saying that Jesus will be born. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Amen. Matthew 12, 28 says this. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. God's kingdom is here. May we live and may we proclaim that Jesus Christ is our King. Amen, church? May we live and proclaim that Jesus Christ is our King. Amen? Let's pray again. Father, we come before you as as we prepare for an endeavor into the book of Daniel. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but your kingdom is forever. God, we are delighted to be part of your kingdom. Help us to proclaim it. Help us to promote it. God, help us to be faithful servants that you welcome into your kingdom and your eternal kingdom. Lord, we look forward to the day when you will say, welcome, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. God, we, we crave that day. Let us be faithful every day until that day comes. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.